and welcome to This is Calvary. My name is Caroline Whitman. I'm the Director of Communications and Care, and I'm here with Pastor Johnny and Marshall Berkey. How are you doing? Doing good. How are you doing? Doing good. I should correct myself. We're also here with little puppy Vela. Uh, yes. So I brought a, a guest with us today. <laughs> so I worked from home this morning and uh, came in for the podcast and thought if I walked her here, maybe she'd be tired enough to just chill. So we will see, <laughs> see how <laughs> that goes. To be seen. So we, we have a puppy with us. Do you hear a background noise? There's the. <laughs> yeah. no, she's so sweet. So she's she's yeah. doing pretty well right now. Yeah. <laughs> well. Marshall, how are you, man? It's good to have you. Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, shout out to all my Calvary people out there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us, uh, Caroline. Maybe you give us a little recap of kind of uh-huh. where we're at and what we're doing. And yeah. So this we're recording it actually the d- couple days before Pentecost Sunday, but. Um, we are in a series that's acknowledging Pentecost and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and also kind of like zooming in specifically on how God's work in us is invigorated through the Holy Spirit, that he is a creator through his spirit and that whatever we're doing kind of like through the Monday to Friday sometimes feels like a grind, right? Like that mm. in itself is yeah. a partnering with God in his like re- newing of the whole world. And so we're pausing and hearing from people who are working in different kind of corners of the workforce and hearing about what their days are like, how they got there, what is really like exciting and invigorating about that profession, what's like hard and maybe even monotonous. So we have so far heard from Louisa and that was really neat. I thought I've actually like not only edit it, but like gone back and listened to it <laughs> again, just like thinking about it and like yeah, nice. um, thinking about how her, I think specifically like she has went into it thinking I can help people and then found that she is in a unique spot where she has like a front row seat to God's work in the world. And she almost feels like, like a witness to it instead of mm. like a primary, um, proponent of it or like bringer of it so that was neat for me yeah that's great yeah I I think in Luis's interview one of the things that stuck out and I I started re-listening to it on a run and didn't haven't finished it yet mm-hmm. um but uh just the notion I, I remember reflecting in response to her just the idea of like you plan for something and God like so quickly changes things and does different things with your life and if it's it's only like us being super intentional and making all the right decisions for a good result, then it's like, oh, shoot, <laughs> you know? But the way that God uses kind of our fumbling decisions along the way and missteps and um, so anyways. Yeah. Yeah, so that was cool to see. You know, she thought she was going into one thing, but God totally navigated something else for her, and it's been super life-giving to her and feels like the right fit for her. So that, that's really cool. Yeah. Also, I don't know, like, also with stories of Calvary, I, like, don't know people very well. I've just, like, passed them in the hallways, you know, so I'm kind of, like, excited. There's no dramatic irony of where I, what I know is going to come out of their mouth. (laughs) So in the same way, Marshall, I don't actually know what you do. So um, do you want to give, I guess, like, primarily a quick backstory of, 
like how long you've come to Calvary sure. and your family and maybe where like people might know you by face even if they don't know you by name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so um, been coming to Calvary for probably five or six years attending regularly as an adult, but I actually grew up at Calvary starting in, I want to say like third grade. Um, so depending on how long you've been at Calvary, you may have seen my face in Sunday school, <laughs> junior high, high school, um, but probably more recently you may see me around, uh, sometimes play piano on Sunday mornings, um, yeah. sometimes uh, help out in have helped out in the nursery and the, and the children's ministry. I have three kids, Ava, Axel, and Martina. Um, so they're, they're in and around the children's ministry, and my wife, Anne-Marie, is also around. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. I remember, um, I've said this to you before, but when I first came to Calvary, you were probably in the DR, Dominican Republic, and... Um, the <laughs> hawk is in, in full play mode right now, and she's now comfortable with the space. So we'll, we'll see how this goes. But I remember, like, you, I think you were in the Dominican Republic, and your younger sister, young only sister, Catherine, was in the youth group when I first came. Mm -hmm. And Noel, I think, was still coming here, and I think I'd met Taylor. Yeah. Um, but you were off in the DR, and I remember, like, them talking about this other brother they had, seemed like a fictional character, story. you know? And uh, so, like, I think what's so fascinating is, like, at the time, like, didn't know you at all, didn't have a content. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess they probably do have another brother. I believe them. And, <laughs> and then now, like, probably been, you know, the closest with you, you know, yeah. as you've come back. And when you had come back to the DR, you came back married. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you and Anne-Marie, when you came back, uh, almost right away started volunteering in the high school group, right? Yeah, yeah. We, when I was a youth pastor. Yeah, yeah, we moved back, and we uh, were attending another church in the city for a couple of years, but um, we're living in the area and still had good friends here at Calvary, and um, it was a little bit harder to serve in the during the week at our church in the city, so we kind of asked you if it was okay if we would serve here. <laughs> oh, that's right. I um, almost forgot about that. And so, yeah, it was a couple of years when... when uh, so you were still, that's right, going we downtown, downtown, but still volunteering here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And But that was a great... Uh, and Anne-Marie, I think, it was also... She got plugged into the women's, ministry, uh, the women's Bible study on Tuesday mornings during that time. And so even, yeah, it, we... Uh, we've been plugged in one way or another for a while. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So anyways, it's great to have you in this series. Mm -hmm. um, one of the first questions we asked uh, Luisa that we'll ask you is when you were little and you were young, what was, like, what did you, the question, what did you want to be when you grew up? You yeah. know, what did you project? What were your, like, man, this is what I, yeah. I want to do. <laughs> I think what the memory that I have the most strongly is wanting to play soccer, which... Um, that didn't come true for either that, of us. Yeah, yeah we, can, <laughs> we can commiserate on that one. <laughs> um, made it to varsity at uh, OPRF and then hung up the, the boots, as it were. Um, but um, I think also maybe at some points I wanted to be a teacher. 
Oh, okay. Um, but I, I really liked school, and, and so maybe that was behind it. But in all honesty, I, I didn't really know, didn't have a, a really firm goal or, or you know, sense of what I was, I'm called to this or, or anything like that. So just, Yeah. Yeah. What were kind of your passions as a, as a, I mean, obviously you talked about soccer, one of them. Mm-hmm. What were kind of your passions that you could have maybe thought you would want to use yeah, um, I mean, I, I feel like growing up, it was it was a lot of soccer. It was a lot of piano. Mm. Took, you know, started taking piano lessons from maybe second grade all through high school, basically. But didn't really, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really see anyone other than maybe my piano teacher. I didn't know what a what does a career in sure. piano look like. Sure, sure. Um, but I did see a lot of, I think, I think I was probably just influenced by the people around me that I saw, whether it was my dad, who um, was a digital illustrator, then turned into a, a kind of web design, had his own business, and then other people, whether it's relatives, family members that were in the business world somehow. I kind of, I, I remember uh, as a kid, my dad, leave he would take the train into the city um this was earlier on and i just remember him leaving watching him leave and kind of walk to do his walk to the train kind of imagining what it would be like to <laughs> yeah go work downtown in the city and like wear a suit or <laughs> i don't even think my dad wore a suit but i'm just like imagining yeah like this, that picture in your mind this sort of like idealized version of like yeah. what work what it must be like to work um so i think that probably Something of that probably stuck, stuck yeah. with me. Yeah, that's cool. Um, you know, one of the things I, I think, like, as, as a little kid that's just super interesting is you do have those kind of, like, yeah, projections. And at some point, I'm even thinking with, like, our own children, Isaac's going to, you know, finishing his sophomore year, going into his junior year. You have these interests, these passions, and at some point you're like, I have to do something with college. I have to do something. Yeah. I have to, like, not necessarily, like, not everyone is charting out their, you know, going to their freshman year of college, what their career future for sure is going to be. But, like, how did that translate then into, like, college majors and decisions? Like, what made you end up then choosing specific, your specific major, minor, whatever yeah. it might be? Yeah, man, I was all over the place. <laughs> um, I, I did not know where I wanted to go to college or what I wanted to study. Um, so my senior, kind of, you know, junior, senior year, I applied, I think I applied to eight or ten different colleges, which is, I think, nowadays is maybe average or below average. I don't know. It depends on the person, but um, it felt like a lot. I felt like I had no idea what I wanted to do. I applied to big state universities. I applied mm. to Christian colleges. I applied to uh, private non-Christian colleges, I was, I looked into engineering, I looked into business, um, and really pushed off the decision until, at, like, the last couple days, I think, you know, I think it was, like, a May 1 deadline or something. That oh, that's so <laughs> stressful. <laughs> at end of yeah. April, like, your senior year or something. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, and... I think I just ended up going with my gut, not really, it wasn't like a 
I mean, I'm, I'm guessing some part of my rationalization and rational brain made it to my gut, but, um, <laughs> but I picked Grove City College, which is a private liberal, liberal arts um, Christian college north of Pittsburgh, and really just, I think I f of all the colleges I visited, that was the one that I kind of felt the most at home at. Um, and I had just, I think the majority of colleges I had applied to, I was engineering, which I don't even think I knew what engineering really was, but um, it sounded <laughs> cool. Uh, but Interesting. I, I think I had missed the engineering deadline at Grove City College. At any rate, I, I had gone in, I went in there, and I had put international business as my oh, okay. major as a freshman. So that's... That's what I started as, and then partway through, maybe after my first year or so, I kind of switched it a little bit um, to a Spanish, I, I double majored Spanish and economics. Okay. So, what interested you in Spanish? Yeah. Um, Spanish was kind of my, that was kind of my hobby major. Um, I had, I think it was seventh grade, I here in Oak Park in the public schools, I took my first Spanish class and kind of liked it and kind of picked it up. But uh, actually in high school, I had the opportunity to go to Costa Rica two times on mission trips. Um, and those were kind of my, those were immersive experiences. I lived in the home of uh, a family from a church that we were partnering with there both times. And so really got to experience what a cross-cultural, cross-language you know, language relationship and uh, yeah, it was like, and it was really exciting and, and different. And it, I think it just, it gave me a vision for what being able to speak another language mm -hmm. with the doors that it can open, the, the, the worlds that it can open. Um, so I just kept... I kept that that motivated me to keep studying and and I yeah, I just kept going with it even in college. So and, oh sorry, go ahead. Just international business and Spanish feel like they can go together, obviously like logistically, but also different corners of the like uh subject spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, different I don't know, different sides of the brain or yeah. however you want to say it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're one was very kind of logical old being kind of economics and then Spanish is very much intuitive mm -hmm. uh, yeah it, it's 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 more um, just sensory even you know studying the language the sounds uh, the culture and the you know it, it's it's much more it's maybe less cerebral and more cultural I guess I would say or yeah so yeah different but. and like would you say that like did when you did the so it ended up being a double major in economics mm -hmm. in spanish yeah. and would you say like you immediately were thinking that the two would fuse together or not necessarily like i just enjoy spanish and so it's if if that floats out as its own thing fine yeah i think i maybe partially naively believe that um, if it was something that I was passionate about, that there would be something out there that I could, that would just 
Oh, interesting. That would yeah. incorporate everything, you know? Yeah. Um, and I mean, so that, that was my, I think deep down, I was like hoping for something that would unify all these passions or areas of interest. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and also kind of incorporating a missional aspect and not, I didn't, I didn't go into business like wanting to work at a big corporation and climb a ladder and make a lot of money or I wanted to use it somehow to like serve others. Um, so that was my, I think that's, that was and, st and still is kind of my, my hope and my vision. Um, but it's, a little bit trickier than that <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think um as you're taking some of that one of the, a word that kind of, I feel like kind of constantly comes up for me when we think about like what we want to do with our lives is like sometimes we think in terms of like like you say ladder climbing and maybe someone's like that is someone's ambition or maybe you're like I don't want to just ladder climb that doesn't feel like it has the depth I want or whatever I, I think like there's like a core idea in there of influence, mm. right? Like whether it's in a subservient role, whether it's a role with a lot of authority and power or somewhere on the spectrum in between. Um, I think we want to like all like influence. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah, make an impact. Yes. Do something that matters. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, and so like in some ways you felt like, and this is kind of what I'm like, maybe projecting about your decisions is like spent like business was like in a sense practical and you probably felt like you could be good at it. And then like, you know, um, Spanish was like, this is going to be like somehow my little stamp on the world. And maybe like those are two coming together, hopefully. Yeah. 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 I don't know if, I don't, th <laughs> I don't think I consciously or yeah, right. subconsciously thought that, but, <laughs> but yeah, I think that, that feels right. Um, mm. I think Spanish was just like, I was just drawn to it. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I had sort of something practical so then I could kind of allow myself to mm. also do something that I was just drawn to. And, um, yeah. So even after college, I, I was trying to figure out what that, what that job and career was, I worked for a year uh, in Washington, D.C., out of college oh, right. um, at a kind of a, a foundation that, that promotes um, economic research and, and sort of uh, free market economic policies or education or... Uh, it was kind of, I mean, D.C. is its own world, so it was exciting. Um, but I, I didn't get a sense of that what I was doing was really relating much to, I, I didn't really see a career there. Um, so then I pivoted, and I was really like, you know what, I want to I wanna try to explore this, like, Spanish and business and mission for the Lord, and so I was able to find an opportunity, uh, sh kind of a short-term uh, 
fellowship, they called it, a, a assignment uh, in the Dominican Republic with a, a ministry called Hope International that does micro-enterprise development, micro-lending, uh, partnering with the working poor of the world um, that are underserved by the for formal financial sector to help them grow their businesses and through that um, improve their communities and, dis and disciple and... Um, so, yeah, it was a little over a year after I graduated that I headed down to okay. DR. So right after you graduated, you were in D.C.? Yeah. And then, yeah, after that, went to Dominican? Yeah. Okay, cool. So getting us kind of just quick jumping up to the present, mm -hmm. um, maybe you can just with, like, in specific, what is your role, where do you work, and then how would you describe what you do? Um, and if there was like, I, I, you know, I don't know if the, the role you had now was what you've always had. I know you've, you've had some changes in your roles and so maybe it was a previous role, but just kind of yeah, give us your whole, uh, your whole working profile. <laughs> sure. Sure. So these days, um, I am a fixed income research analyst at Northern Trust Asset Management. Um, so what that means is... I analyze financial information, uh, economic information, um, news. Uh, I, I sit in front of several different computer monitors <laughs> and just kind of see what, uh, what's going on in the world and, and, and read. And, and then I, based on that, I make recommendations um, for investment or um, different funds that we have clients that invest their, their money in. How early on did you know the impact COVID was going to have <laughs> before everybody else did? Oh, Were you like the prophet in the wilderness? Um, I, you know, we, we started talking about it pretty early in 2020. Um, and, but I think we were, I mean, everyone was really naive. You know, we thought this is just something that's happening in Wuhan. And we'll be back by Easter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but to be honest, I, I'm a bit of a pess. I don't know if it's a pessimist, but, but I, I, I'm very sensitive to risks and uh, potential risks and, Kind of early on, though, while we were kind of talking about it, I just had a feeling in my stomach, and I was talking about it with my manager. He he was, he didn't seem very bothered by it, but I I just had the sense that, you know what, I better, <laughs> I better check to make sure my computer works from home. Um, so this was like a couple of weeks before everything shut shut down. down. I just better be sure it might just be for a week, you know, and might be a couple of weeks that that was like the extent of maybe what it could be i certainly not now a year it's hard to even go back to those days and, and like actually remember what i thought on any like in a particular like week like oh this will be two weeks so this will be three weeks so this will go till the end of spring or this like i can't even like it's so hard to remember those moments yeah yeah it was it was pretty stressful um because there's just so much uncertainty, so much change. And my job is 
part of my job is to monitor that. Like and, forecasting, and, yeah. And make recommendations. And it was just impossible. <laughs> so I felt like I couldn't do my job well. And so add that to another list of stressors. But, but here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like that like sensitivity to possible liabilities is like a perfect um like a, a perfect quality to have for the position you have specifically yeah yeah it's definitely part of that is definitely needed uh, there's there's definitely a risk management hat that i wear and and i've been in this role for a couple of years now and before that i was at the same company in other sort of um analytical credit risk roles uh all and it's kind of around the same thing where we get paid to think dark thoughts and and, <laughs> um, and make decisions to protect us in case those dark thoughts materialize. I guess um, so. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's super interesting, and that's got a just having to always like if the. How, maybe it's not even the worst case scenario all the time, but that like something deeply negative happens and you didn't project it. Mm. Like, and so then you're like to always have to like mentally put yourself in the yeah. space of like, I have to see, maybe it's not like, I, I'm saying worst case scenario. Maybe it's not always, or maybe it is. Mm. Maybe it's not always like, I always have to see the worst case scenario, but like how that like forms your ability to like look at everything else in life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like when it's like I'm, but I'm. I have to look at the worst case scenario because if it does happen, then it's on me to make sure my company and our investors are ready for that. Yeah. What's your thought on that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, does that feel like that's in your world? Yeah. Yeah, I I think so. It, I mean, there's a lot of different personalities, and mm. and yeah, in 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 the investment world. Um, and so, but I think my particular personality is, I feel a very high sense of responsibility um, and I don't like to make mistakes. I'm, I'm pretty risk averse in that sense. So, so when I do, when something does happen that I didn't foresee, even if it wasn't really foreseeable, I have a hard time not beating myself up a little bit. Yeah. Um, and... Um, yeah, so that's, that feels kind of true. It must be hard to find, like, a sequence of events that make you feel good, because if you foresaw something bad happen, and then it is accurate, then you're like, oh, man, I can't, <laughs> I can't believe it happened. But then if something bad happens and you don't see it, then it's, like, self-deprecating, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and if something happens good and you thought it was bad, then you're like, oh, I was wrong, you know? Like, yeah. is there... Is there, what scenario feels like a win? Yeah, I think I've, I think I am learning that what winning looks like, that, that if, if winning looks like either always being right mm. or always having, you know, a good outcome, then I'm, I'm never going to feel good. And, and I mean, that's a, that's a terrible treadmill to be on um i think what feels like winning now is 
when I can do that part of my job well enough, but I can always I can also build re- meaningful relationships with coworkers. Um, I can make connections through those relationships um, or help uh, yeah help make connections outside of our you know my my sort of basic job um, and add value to people and give insight to people who are not even remotely close to what we do. Um, those are the kind of things that feel more fulfilling to me. It's interesting. I'm, I mean, the phrase you use, winning. Um, it's just so interesting to process that. Like, in, in, I, I mean, in so many other fields, and my thinking, like, particularly, like, the phrase winning as it relates to my, like, coaching, and it's like winning almost never is, like, perpetually succeeding to result in win, right? Like, you know, tell the kids all the time, like, you have to get out there and play and not overthink things and be willing to make mistakes because it's like you have to figure that process out to see yourself fail and move and grow and because the where you fail allows you to now see things in the future you didn't see in that moment. I mean, like, so it's just an interesting, like, I, don't, I haven't thought about that in translation to, like, financial world but like that idea of like even in anyone's vocation like whoever's listening right now whatever their vocation is whatever they do from monday to saturday like what is winning to them and where can they take risk you know um and fail that still is on the path of growth and so to speak winning yeah you know yeah no and definitely i mean learning and growth and development takes, it needs room for failure and mistakes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and so I think that's the, I mean, that's, that translates to any job. Um, if, if, if you don't feel like, you know, if you're getting pressure, whether it's from managers or peers or just your own pressure that you put on yourself, uh, you know, that you need to be, that you can't make any mistakes, then you're not going to grow. And, um, so, yeah, it's a it's a challenge. I would say in the in invest, there's definitely some you know corollaries between investing and like professional sports. Where <laughs> I mean, we we track our fund performance versus other funds out there, how we rank. Um, we get reporting every day on that, and that's ultimately what determines part of some people's compensation. So it's, you know, it's... Well, and it's interesting... It's, there is a competitive... Well, and I was going to say, I think what's interesting is, like, it gets the... I mean, and I'm just thinking of this in so many different directions right now. Like, it does... Like, a delta makes the... creates the situation where the failures have bigger impact. Yeah. Right, so I just think of that I I think I've I don't know if I said this on the podcast or just talking, you know, with staff just kind of throughout the week. But I like I think of my kids like when my three year old makes a mistake. I used to have a three year old. I don't have a three year old anymore. But my three year old makes a mistake. It doesn't have a huge impact on a ton of people, right? Like if you know my 
let's say my, my high school son like gets into a fight with his middle school brother. That, that impacts them. Maybe it impacts the rest of us. Just doesn't make a happy place, happy home, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's like the impact is not, like he's not winning in that moment. <laughs> and, yeah. But the, like, the loss is like not having a huge impact. But in adulthood, because I was even thinking like maybe the losses in the financial moral world are like more risky um, than like, let's say, sports. But that's actually not the case because as sports goes into business, like yeah. think of one of my other passions in, in life is promotion relegation. Yeah. <laughs> but you think of like a club getting relegated in Europe from the first division to the second division and there's huge financial implications. Yeah. I mean, like there's all that, like that loss. Now, could that loss make them hire the right manager who then takes them even farther up and back or whatever, right? Yeah. But it's like something about like, even, whether it's in, you can make a bad financial decision as an uh, 18-year-old that's not going to have the same impact as your decisions now. Yeah. So there's something about the progress of like, like little people, little problems, big people, big yeah. Problems. And maybe we yeah. have to let the little people like, like really like accept their little problems, so that like when they become big people with big problems, they can still manage that and navigate that. Then it's not so overwhelming, right? Because yeah. like yeah. we tend to want to like, I mean, even as a parent, like when things don't go my kid's way, I tend to want to curve it positively. Yeah. And it's like I think Christine's a little bit more wired to be like, no, like this is. This is, it's okay to like say this is not good and let's like sit in that and yeah. like think about it. And I'm like, well, yes, that's not good, but it, it's really this. You know, like I'm always spinning it like. Yeah. I, don't yeah, know, I, I just said a lot, so I don't know if. <laughs> no, I, I, tying it into parenting, that's, a, that's yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would, I do think maybe my, my transition to adulthood was kind of abrupt. Um, mm. and, and so I, I, I don't think we, in the long run, I don't think we do our kids favors by trying to shield them from, uh, all the consequences, the natural consequences yeah. of their mistakes, yeah. because that's ultimately how they learn. And, and if you don't learn that as a kid, yeah. you're going to have harder lessons as an adult. Cause you're going to make mistakes in your projections. Yeah. And, like, you have to figure out how to move forward with that. Yeah, yeah. In a very real way. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's and you, part of life. That's part of being a resilient human yeah, being. You uh, don't project as incapable. You project as, like, capable uh, and, um, like, put together is the wrong way of saying it. I mean, that, 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 I feel like that's too, like... I don't know, but you project, like, if I gave you something, I would think, like, Marshall will know if he can't do it, if he can do it, if he can do it, he'll do it right, mm. right? Like, so, like, so then if you are personality-wise projected with people as someone that can figure it out, like, you know, there's that much more stress and yeah. when you don't. Yeah. No, that's really interesting, and I can imagine, like, um, I can imagine getting emails already from people saying, man, I really resonated with, like, the, the how do I manage, like, failures in my work, because I really, you know, um, that, that's just like, you're, whether you're in finances, or Louisa as a psychiatrist, or a stay-at-home parent, or, like, 
I mean, like, how many times do we as parents feel like, whether you're stay-at-home or working or whatever, but, like, just projecting, like, man, like, I just didn't do that one as mm -hmm. good as I wish I could have at that stage mm -hmm. of life or whatever. Um, but I think what I'm, like, maybe just to bring it back full circle, like, I'm really thinking about right now in the conversation, just, like, what are we, what are we determining is winning mm -hmm. and the path to winning almost never comes with just perpetually winning decision after winning decision that results in winning, Yeah. right? It's like failure, failure, losses, 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 a win. Yeah. Failure, failure, losses, a win. Yeah. And so I think like, um, yeah, so just, <laughs> just take. Bela agrees, so. I think. Um, yeah, I think that kind of, I, I think it, it reminds me of just the story of the gospel and um, God's work in the world and that the story of God and the story of humanity with God is not a story of <laughs> winning. winning. Yes, right? it's not, not at all. It's not starting, um, it, you know, it's not just a, a nice upward sloping curve of uh, winning after winning and, and improvement over improvement. It's a it starts high and it goes really low <laughs> and it, then it's, it, it bottoms out and it's yeah. one day it's going to be higher than ever. The story of Torah yeah. is not just one upward projection, you yeah. know, like yeah. it is, it is wallowing yeah. in the like mm -hmm. mess that is human beings as God like pursues and loves them, yeah. you know, in the midst yeah. of their failures. Yeah. And I do, I do think that, how we define winning, whether that's in career or just life. I think, I think the Christian faith has so much to offer the world in redefining what that is. Mm, mm. Um, more so, you know, I think we can be a stronger witness to who God is and his love and his goodness by redefining what winning really is than trying to be the best at winning the world's way. Um, yeah, and I think that that will maybe initially be projected as um, unattractive, mm -hmm. um, maybe weak, but like probably if people are honest, tapping into something they long for. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like to not have to be so success-driven. Let's realize the whole, f like, the, the space of greatest need for acceptance is our Heavenly Father and to know like there's no success path toward that. And then like how that can ripple effect into other relationships and vocations. And, and, and like as a Christian, sometimes that can look foolish probably to the world. Yeah. But I, I, I also know in just relationships I have that there's also something pretty powerful there, you know, as you know, as people do fail, yeah. where do they go then? Yeah. You know, are we as we are we in all of our kind of locations and workplaces there for people? I, I remember Chris Johns um, sharing just yeah that's that an employee shared some really hard things with him once, and um, and that's like that's that's the what we want to be. You know, like when when a colleague or an employee of ours is really struggling, are we projecting the kind of 
way of living that is gracious mm-hmm. and merciful mm-hmm. and like and so that when hardship comes they come to you yeah you know even in whatever your work environment is yeah. Yeah. okay i didn't mean to like totally uh, yeah dive deep into that that wasn't really where i projected the conversation to go um but yeah thanks for sharing some of those thoughts it was i hope really helpful for for all of you listening yeah Um, i see i see a lot of like a holder of complexity because as you dive into a financial world i imagine it can seem like it's its own world that feels separate from uh the real world the real world right because you can like enter into this game right I'm just imagining, I clearly have no personal experience, but, um, but really like you're playing with like factors and you're tweaking things and seeing all of that's connected to like each little piece of the web. And that is, uh, as you were talking about Torah, I was just thinking about how like each human is like so in a social ecosystem that like mm. one person's sin affects so many people around it and and not even in a negative sense, like one person's um, alignment to truth and affects so many people mm. around it too. And so I'm just thinking about how like you're kind of a holder of complexities in this world of just a financial world and like then that can translate to like a literacy in the real world of like the complexities here too. That's mm. such a neat like skill to be honing yeah. every day <laughs> and then yeah, be yeah. able to bring that into the real world and see like layers that people are not aware of. That's so cool. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I think that's actually really, really helpful across vocations. Yeah, that idea that what is God building into me? Maybe it's someone who doesn't like their job at all, and it's just, maybe it's just faithfulness, you know? Or maybe there's a, a specific skill that God is, like refining in you that's specifically applied in a specific way for a specific field, but that is translatable for the good of family and community in other ways. And I think that's a really, that's a really helpful thought. Cause I think most of us, some people might just like think like if I just kill it at my job with this specific skill, I can walk away totally fine and don't need it to translate it. I think most people want to see like a skill that I'm developing in this little narrow of the world that allows me to make money. It'd be nice if that skill was also like translatable to be a good, you know, a good dad, a good mom, mm-hmm. a good friend, a good child, a good, you know, yeah. right? Yeah, I think we all long for some level of alignment of what we do yeah, to earn money and and provide for ourselves and our families but to that that would also have broader benefits um broader meaning um that's i I think that would resonate with a lot of people yeah yeah it's really good what about your job do you if any (laughs) do you leave your well so to speak, office. <laughs> Where is your, whatever, your actual office? That, Do you my have home a office is in a converted bedroom in my uh, apartment. <laughs> so temporarily, or not so temporarily, our, our three kids are sharing a nice large <laughs> nice. bedroom. Uh, thankfully, it is large. So yeah, but um, yeah, I've, it's just just next to the bathroom yeah <laughs> just across the so i was gonna say when you leave room. the office but i guess it's yeah. more like when you like 
leave the room and are immediately home. <laughs> but like when you kind of end your day, um, what are things that you're like, that was actually like, that was, I, I like that part of my job. I like that I'm able to contribute that way, specifically to the vocation, not the translatable, but even just like really specific to your vocation. What, what things do you do that you're like, that was like, I'm, it's cool that I can do that. It's cool that I can, can contribute that specific to your job. Yeah. I, maybe a few things come to mind. Um, when I feel like I was able to communicate an insight that I uniquely can see, because even in my own industry, there's, there's tons of other analysts out there publishing things. And so as an investor, you can go to, for, for many, for many kinds of investment research, you could go any number of places and get good, you know, insights. But when there's some, some particular issue, um, my, I mean, I guess my, maybe my specialty is in uh, banks and uh, bank uh, debt and uh, understanding bank, uh, how banks manage their capital and, um, Sometimes I'm, I'm able to write an article or some sort of uh, produce something that really feels like it came from me. It was something that I really, I really understood well mm. and um, you know present it or send it out and get feedback from people that they appreciate. It was helpful. That that's fulfilling. And then also to I feel like when I'm able to have conversations either one-on-one -on -one or kind of a facilitate some sort of group discussion with other analysts on my team and kind of draw out insights from others and, and and draw out themes that we kind of each of us are like it's really easy to just be like siloed and head down and just like doing our trying to come up with our own insights but to, to kind of step back and, and make connections at a broader level and then being able to communicate those that feels um, rewarding as well because it's 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 doing the same thing, but it's it's also in a way that's relational and mm. giving uh, value to the insights of others and to my colleagues. Um, yeah, yeah. So those are those are a couple examples. Yeah, that's cool. What in your job um, surprised you? Whether it's like good surprise, bad surprise, <laughs> you know, like. Like, good surprise in the sense of, like, oh, man, I didn't realize I would enjoy this in this way. Or, like, man, this is, I don't know if I can keep doing this. This is not what I thought. Mm -hmm. yeah. So good or bad surprises, what surprised you in your current job? Um, I think one of the surprises was just the, that I wasn't ready for, was just the level, the amount of information flow coming at me at <laughs> any time. Um, there's, you know, in addition to normal kind of email, then there's this whole world of being on Bloomberg, which is kind of the, the global standard for uh, financial news, data, trading. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the Facebook for being an investor, if you could say it that way for kind of the, the common person. It's, <laughs> it's where everyone is on there 
and does their work on there mm. uh, a good amount of work there and so you're kind of like in in the matrix when you're in there <laughs> and just i think it wasn't i was surprised and not ready for the mental uh strain that that puts on me and, and anyone and, and having i had a really rough time at first and um have been learning to you know take better care of myself and, mm. and uh manage that and but yeah, that was that was a surprise. Is it is that kind of the rapid fire information in a competitive environment? Like, is that kind of the two pieces there? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 the place where I receive information. It's also the place where I process and analyze information, and it's the, one of the primary places that I communicate via um, chat rooms and other kind of real-time yeah. communication to yeah. my other teammates, the people I'm giving recommendations to. So it's all, it's like, it's kind of the front lines of, of the action, the investment action. Mm. Okay, nice. What, um, what do you feel like are just kind of the, like, as people kind of wrestle with their own jobs, and I think everyone at some point kind of gets to, like, the kind of, like, grind of your job. What do you feel like are like the, you know, the most mundane kind of things you do that you're like, oh man, I can't, <laughs> mm -hmm. how do I get myself up to do this again today? Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's, for me, it's probably information fatigue. Mm. How do I <clears throat> stay engaged in another earnings call when I'm, listening to one of my companies report their quarterly, quarterly earnings and then uh, <laughs> thinking of, you know, what are the takeaways and what do I need to, how does this apply to what we're invested in or not? Um, that or another, you know, we do some written reports that are kind of more mundane, more re requirements. Um, so just grinding through those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not necessarily they don't necessarily add a ton of value it doesn't feel like sometimes but um we're just kind of grinding through those yeah yeah um i have two more questions at least that i've been thinking about and caroline let me know if you mm -hmm. uh, have a few more um but i would say one um when you think about like the whole idea of this series which we've called good work mm -hmm. um and we've kind of explained this each time, but just kind of reiterate it quick, like this idea that um, it is through the church that the spirit of God is working in the world to provide healing and forgiveness. Um, and the realization that when we say the church, like not even a half a percent of the church are missionaries and pastors and ministers and whatever, right? Yeah. But that the like delible majority you know is people doing their regular jobs yeah. so when you think of like how does it like affect not like i'm not even saying like like optimistically like how do you see god just so using you in your day-to-day -day job as like a spirit-empowered you know analyst mm -hmm. like because you may say I, I don't 
I don't really know. Yeah. But just like thinking that, so, so not necessarily optimistic on the winning side, <laughs> right? But just kind of like, what is it, how does it impact the way you think about going to work every day, knowing that you are a spirit-empowered temple of God to bring forgiveness and love and healing. Like we are the body of Christ in the world to be priests, you know. Into like, the Bloomberg matrix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like how does that like just impact like the way you now like think about your vocation? Um, does that yeah. make yeah. sense? Um, well, I, w- I would say that I... I struggle with that, and, and, and maybe growing up, I think the whole, like, sacred-secular divide, false divide, right, is, is something that um, I probably grew up, I don't know, it wasn't, like, formally taught to me, but um, I definitely have had a sense that, like, being, in, you know, quote-unquote, in ministry or... Um, you know, the closer you are to church, the more close, you know, the closer you are to God, that sort of, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you've, you've, you've disavowed me of that, Johnny. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Single-handedly? I think the way I think about it is it's attention, right? On the one hand, it's holding on to the hope and the faith that that even the mundane, that even mm. the analysis that I do, even the, the things that are quote-unquote non-spiritual are, are sacred and mm. valuable to God. And um, I don't know if, you know, I... I'm not sure if there's going to be investment analysts in uh, when <laughs> Jesus comes back and, and establishes creation. his kingdom. Um, I have a feeling the economy will be run a little bit differently. <laughs> but I do believe there's, there is there's some good, even in the tasks that we do, that I do, that, that will translate, right? That... that God created us to be kings and priests, and he gifted us with gifts to cause, to help the earth to flourish. And so there is, even in the work that I do, there is goodness there. Um, but many days, I would say most of the time, I don't, I don't see it or feel <laughs> it. Um, so I think what that does is it, it allows me to keep showing up to work oh, nice. on days that I... Yeah, <laughs> that's sweet. No, that's great. I, I may not want to. Um, it allows me to feel uh, welcomed to ask God for help. Mm. Not just, you know, not just, God, will you help me be a good witness to my, and like, to my coworkers or but like God, help me do good work. Help, help me. I'm stuck on this. You know, you name it. Give me wisdom. Mm. Um, and and sometimes I feel like 
it's not like I do every time I ask God, then that project or something turns out great. But yeah. it You're also not allows on the me test. to yeah. <laughs> it also allows me to trust him that he's using the failures and the mistakes and the the things that feel down to me that he uses those things to exalt and mm. uh, to, f- to form and to renew. And, and that's the process of sanctif- sanctification. That's the, so I think it's all of those. It's, it's that there's goodness that does last, that is eternal. And mm. Mm. There's um, that, that he's in it with me. I think that's, that he cares about it. Yeah. No, that's a really, really good response. And um, yeah, I mean, we've, we've had a couple different conversations around just like meaning and vocation, you know, before this. And um, I can even just see in the way you're like responding now, the way God has kind of like been working in your life over the last couple of years, yeah. you know, to kind of have some not perfect place all figured out, but some sense of just like, growth and solidarity and what God has called you to do in this world, mm-hmm. you know, and how he's gifted you and wired you. Yeah. So that's sweet. Um, I'm thinking of like a, a specific question. Maybe I'm thinking of this cause I have a 16 year old, mm-hmm. um, but thinking for like high school kids, upperclassmen into college, mm-hmm. like if we said, hey, Marshall, would you speak to <laughs> our college students, you know, or our seniors in high school as they kind of, like, venture out into the world? <laughs> like, what is one, two, I, I don't know, like, what would you want to share with them from your experience mm. as they kind of project into the marketplace? Mm. Um. I mean, there's so much that <laughs> I would uh, be happy to share. And I, I think maybe the, the, the best summary of it is that don't try to do it alone. Mm. That, that the world of career and job, and um, that it is, it's serious. It, you know, it's, it impacts so much of your life and it can impact not just you, but your family and... Mm. Um, it shapes, you know, what your vocation is, forms you. It's it's what you show up to every day. And so <laughs> yes. that repetition yeah. forms you. So making yep. making wise decisions about career and vocation, I think, is really, should be really elevated within the church. And, and we have such, I mean, even here at Calvary, we have people of all different oh, totally. fields and backgrounds. Yeah. And so... If, to not try to make a decision, whether it's where to go to college or what field I, you know, what I should study or what job I should take. Don't try to do that by yourself. Um, there's so much wisdom and people with experience that can get help guide you, and that's a really good thing. Um, so, I, yeah, I think that would be my message. And if anyone awesome. wants to talk to me, <laughs> like that's honestly, that's, yeah. that's one of the really redeeming things about that I can do. I had the opportunity to talk with a few, whether it's younger colleagues at work or, or mm. college grads, but just to kind of coach them through 
looking for their first job or, you know, mm. thinking about finance and it really is a joy to do. So yeah, tap into that. Yeah. That's, that's really cool, man. And I think like, yeah, I love what you say, like about people like, so obviously such a variety of skills in the church, not just our church, any church. Right. And like, I think of probably like, you wonder how many people think pastors and ministry staff think like, our our projection of you all is like if you had just followed Jesus a little more you would like volunteer for this thing or you would give you would give more consistently in this way or you you know what I'm saying like it's almost like you wonder like does the ministry staff and pastors just think we're never doing enough you know and it's like what if the your projection of our thoughts of you were like thank you for doing what you do and God has called us to some weird specific calling called pastors and ministers and and whatever else. And it's like, we're here to support you. So like, thank you for being on the front lines. Thank you for, you know, like following God's call in your life. And like, what can we do for you? You know, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah. just different. Like, yeah. you wonder how, you know, you all think we think of you. Yeah. Or maybe you don't care. It's like, <laughs> but, it's like instead of a congregation that empowers a ministry staff to do the work at the church is the, mm. the ministry staff is empowering the congregation to do the work of the church which is yeah. like the point verbatim <laughs> paul yes. Yes. you know it's yes. like yes. totally and you say it like like it should it's, yeah it should be the most obvious thing and yet somehow we do end up absorbing like you said in and, and, and I don't know, like, and I'm just even thinking my own, my vocation as a pastor, it's like, maybe we're trying to, like, take the work away from you to find our own meaning, <laughs> right? And it's like, we have to be at the, you know, we really want to be at the center of what God's doing. So it's like, we want to do it all, as opposed to, like, unleashing and opening hands and empowering. And, and I think we've seen some of that at Calvary, which has been cool. I think of, you know, um, like, the English Conversations Cafe started with Sharon and then uh, Hughes and then other people taking it on after she left, but that's all congregant led and CR the same thing, you know. Mark special needs and Ruthie, ministry, especially with yeah the the Moors running a special needs support group, and it's just like people like just given space to to use their gifts and passions, and there's no way that like um you know the Moors like professional skills aren't coming into play in leading that group right and so it's just like um i mean we're interviewing them so I don't <laughs> get that. but i just think yeah i mean i think like yeah. um to have a posture toward you as you go to your room across the hallway every day yeah. <laughs> that like you're like my 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 like ministry staff is like really thankful i'm doing what i'm doing right now because i'm doing something they're not being called to do right now mm -hmm. um and i have their support Hey, yeah. you're you're literate in the Bloomberg that that whole like metaphor you just gave of the matrix like going into the matrix <laughs> like, but you're like literate in that whole like wing of yeah. the world <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah it's it's I, I think the 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 idea of church empowering the body to be out in the world is really yeah, that's that's really dignifying, and mm. it's really um, mm. it is empowering. It's and to and to 
to ultimate to ultimately view work as a as good, right? As something that God gave us to do before there was any sin. He gave us work to do and to bless that and and um, and that He gives us Himself so that we can work. Um, that that it's not it's not one versus the other, but it's yeah, it's together. Yeah. Marshall, we scheduled this uh, interview to be at a time when you could, when this is over, pick up your daughter from school. And I feel like we're inching pretty close to that time. <laughs> so <laughs> I want to be sensitive to that. We are at Calvary right now and Marshall's kids go to field school. And, um, and so this worked out great for you to stop in early. So um, I just want to, you know, again, thank you so much for taking the time Um and I, I really feel like I, I'm hopeful for, for all of you listening in that there's a number of uh, conversation pieces here that I hope will be shaping as you process your own calling and vocation. Uh, obviously, we can't interview everyone <laughs> um, to have this time. And so my hope is that these conversations just kind of have a ripple effect. And, and, and what we've heard from people already is just like different parts of conversations are impactful for different people in different ways, you know, which is super cool um, to, to see that. Um, mm-hmm. I've had two people, uh, Amanda Gosnell and, and Brian Jeffers, email and text me and saying like, man, I, I thought I was the only person that was anxious going to the beach for vacation. <laughs> but they're like, apparently you are too. And I'm like, I resonated with that, right? So it's like, they're just well, you never know what people are going to resonate with, yeah. which, is, which is crucial because that's what we have to have these kinds of conversations to grow and persevere in our faith. Yeah, thank you, Johnny so, and Caroline, for having me. And let's, let's keep the conversation going. Yeah, we will. June 10th. Perfect segue. Yeah, why don't you tell us really <laughs> uh, quick what we got? If you do want to join the conversation in the flesh, we have June 10th, we're having like a backyard um, Thursday night out uh, where we'll, you can bring your own uh, lawn chair and drink and we'll just kind of chat in the shepherd's backyard um the registration has their location um and we'd love to just hear kind of from each other about our own experiences in both fulfilling work and unfulfilling work (laughs) and how god is in all of it so um seven o'clock june 10th shepherd's backyard yeah they said yes, right? They did. <laughs> they did. Just kidding. I, right before I, you sent the email last week, I texted him one last time. I'm like, you're 100%, right? Because she's like about to send this email. I can call it off right now. But I mean, he's like, 100%. <laughs> I think, I think, I like this tactic of like, we volunteer people on the podcast. And then it's like I, a, a public, great. yeah. It's like at the elder nomination. meetings, like if someone's not there, they get the job. <laughs> it's like everyone's not here, right? So it's like, we can just start assigning yeah, jobs. It's perfect. Yeah. Perfect. So... Thank you again, Marshall, yeah. Caroline. Thank yeah. you. This has yep. been great. And uh, Calvary family, and if you're not part of the Calvary family, you're listening. And thank you much. Thank you so much uh, for joining us for this conversation. Until next time. <laughs>